Straight Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture in the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Welcome to Straight Talk Live and the education of the AI revolution coming up here. My name is Rick Snyder. I'm one of the hosts of Straight Talk Live. And this is a not-for-profit where we explore everything from human to digital to social transformation around the planet. And we've been doing this for uh, over a year now launched from the beginnings of COVID, not satisfied by the conversations that were happening around the world. And Af and I were saying to ourselves, I think we can do better. I think we can create a platform where we invite the most brilliant minds around the world to discuss the most pertinent issues that we need to be talking about today to help forward our evolution on this planet. And so that's exactly why we started this and why we're still going strong a year later. So thank you for listening, for being part of our tribe. And I'm the uh, author of Decisive Intuition and the CEO of Invisible Edge. And I'm also want, I'm very excited to introduce our co-host and my partner in crime, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Uh, thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone. Another exciting episode for us. Uh, this one is really close to all of our hearts because when we started STL about a year back, one of our first episodes was about the transformation of education. We had a heated uh, but productive debate with um, uh, the MBA head of UCL, one of the large universities here in the UK. And uh, this follows that same thread. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm, as you know, the co-creator of this fantastic show and uh, the founder of uh, Growth Enabler and also involved in a whole bunch of other technology ventures and um, philanthropic activities. Uh, before we start, I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, some of the people on this call today who you will meet guests one, one in particular has been on our show before, right at the beginning, in fact, a wonderful human being and a very talented uh, technologist and business individual. Uh, and what he's doing with his team and the two um, other you know, dignitaries on this call today as well is really very remarkable and extraordinary. And I'd encourage you to listen very carefully today uh, because it's to do with education and not just yours, but your families, your children. And actually, it's shaping the next generation of everything, um, right? The way from the stuff we don't like, which is politicians and politics, well, some of us don't, uh, all the way to the corporate leaders and the next generation of workers and employees, be them be, be those gig workers or, you know, uh, permanent f- workforce that you have in these big companies. So delighted, uh, Rick, the ball's over to you. Let's get going with this conversation because it's, uh, it's so important. So It is. You. It is. And so this is so near and dear, as Af was saying, to our hearts. Um, I get excited about artificial intelligence and all the possibilities of where it goes. And then when you combine that with education, and the fact is that we all know we're being overwhelmed every moment by so much information, more than we can handle. So how can we keep up? How can we prepare our students and the next generation for the future? Uh, when I was talking to Nicholas, who I'm about to introduce, um, I think you were saying, Nick, that uh, somewhere around 65% of um, all the jobs that are happening that kids are getting trained for right now are, don't even exist yet. That in the future, we don't even have those jobs in place that are gonna be created for 65% of the workforce. So how are we gonna be prepared for that? So let's dive in. And I wanna formally welcome all of you to Straight Talk Live. Ken, Aleki, and Nicholas, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thanks for having us, Rick. Hey, and thanks for having Happy us. Happy to be here. Well, uh, so let's start with just getting a little bit of sense of your bios first. Um, let's start with you, Nick. Um, give us a little, I know you were on our show on the fourth episode, but just to refresh for any audience members that haven't heard from you yet, uh, tell us a little bit about you and Sophos and your passions around education and AI. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me back. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first show, so I'm looking forward to this one. I uh, always enjoy speaking with, with you, uh, Ray and F. So my background, uh, I was a, a nerd as a kid. I, I started off uh, falling in love with coding and mathematics at the age of 11. And when other kids were out playing, I was behind my computer programming and, and dreaming. Um, I discovered AI shortly after I got into programming and I decided there and then that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So 
between the ages of 11 and when I went to university, I taught myself absolutely everything I could. So I, I would consume books and I would experiment and code and I would, I, I built, for example, a, a, an intelligent Pac-Man game that would identify within 10 seconds who it was playing with without you telling it who it was, mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I've loved AI forever. So fast forward a bit, went to university and became very disillusioned with the state of the art. You know, I thought I was going to be taught some magic stuff that I hadn't taught myself. And actually, that was a bit backward. Yeah, they, they were very advanced with computer science per se. But uh, when it came to AI, it was a bit disappointing. So fast forward to uh, five, six years ago, I, I've been involved in many ventures. I've developed many, many systems. I've been involved in businesses, involved in AI and software. But I reached a point in 2017 where I almost fell into a bit of a depression, thinking, you know, this is fine. We're making money. Um, I'm intellectually challenging myself. And this is all great. But, you know, what's, what's my purpose? Should I not be doing something that's going to make the world a better place? And what would that look like? So took some time, spoke to a few friends, uh, mainly my, my co-founder in Sophos, a dinner. We were having coffee one day and, and we got into the subject of education. He was expressing some frustration about his, his kids' experience at school. And we, we got into this whole thing about uh, issues I had learning, he had learning, and, and how the educational system was structured and how it really hasn't changed in a long, long time. You know, it was literally designed for a previous century, right? And not much has changed. So got onto this, this mission of uh, setting up Sophos. We did, we formed Sophos back then. And the mission really is, and we'll, we'll unpack during the call, but I'll give you a very quick summary and then hand over to Aliki and, and Ken to introduce themselves. The, the, I looked at the whole landscape and there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. And we're gonna try and tackle as many of them as possible. But the main one is the, we are living in a world at a time where knowledge is growing and expanding so rapidly that you know you're going to be talking about the speed of knowledge rather than the speed of light soon because it's exploding there is so much knowledge being literally thrown at us and we we in an educational system whether it be corporate learning uh, school university whatever the the setting is you have humans out there curating this knowledge selecting first of all which version of the truth is going to be taught converting that into lesson plans, et cetera. And then, you know, six months, a year goes by before it makes its way into textbooks and lesson plans. Mm. By then, a lot of it is obsolete. It's this notion that it's static and you've learned it and you're done is, doesn't apply anymore because it just, it has an expiration date that is a lot sooner than it used to be. And then the second problem is that you've been taught a version of the truth. So you've been taught a version of history. Uh, I mean, just look at COVID, for example, right? I think every single one of us has debates around the various conspiracy theories, et cetera. And everyone's got papers to back up their position. And everyone's got a professor or a doctor that says, well, he says this, he says this. So who the heck do we believe? What, what version of the truth do we learn, right? So the, pro the problem we're trying to solve is having AI sift through all this knowledge assimilated in some kind of knowledge representation system that retains semantic, syntactic, ontological, epistemological, etc., integrity so that it's stored in a way that, and it's updated regularly, that it can be taught through various mechanisms. And we'll, we'll get into those. And the second problem is, or the second thing that Sophos will do in time, and this is a massive problem, is verifying the integrity of that knowledge. So figuring out which version of the truth should end up in the system so that we're not teaching something that is inaccurate or promoting someone's agenda, etc. So I'll pause there, guys, because I can talk about Sophos all day. Hope that's been a, a, an intro into me and, and my passion for Sophos. So over to Aliki, Ken. Aliki, let's go to you next. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's great to be here. Lovely to meet you all. My name is Aliki Constantino. I've kind of been in education for over 20 years, but I'd say all my life because I've always wanted to be an educator 
on some level. I have just completed my doctorate in educational leadership and my dissertation in fact was about um, cooperative learn using cooperative learning techniques online and, and what is needed for that. And it kind of evolved to that topic because of um, COVID and the need for educators, literally the entire planet, educators, you know, parents, school kids, university students, um, even people in the, in the corporate world wanting to educate people out there and then suddenly having to do it through a screen, not face to face. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely related to my passion of how to engage the learner. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is how I connect with, you know, education and AI, because I feel as though AI is going to close a lot of those gaps and, and enable people to become more engaged because what happened when, when we all got quarantined, teachers went totally nuts and parents and kids, but educators suffered. They were like, what are we going to do? How can we do mm -hmm. things that we do in the classroom? How can we engage students? How can we have that same level of inquiry? And um, they were kind of stuck there. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe that AI kind of will fill all those gaps that teachers were concerned about engaging the learner, finding how to differentiate learning, um, making sure that there's collaboration between learners, um, raising the, you know, it's not, many people think that AI is like, oh, I can have an AI and ask all the questions and then it'll be a quick fix. Right. Like taking an aspirin, but it's not really because AI will help you to become a better learner. It will teach mm -hmm. you how to know things. And as Nick was saying, we are, I mean, he kind of summarized what I'm teaching at the moment, which is the theory of knowledge. We live in post-truth world and mm -hmm. we have so many versions of the truth. And um, I believe that edu education and I mean, what Nick was saying about knowledge becoming obsolete and expiring so quickly, like the speed of light is, is so relevant to, to what we are all passionate about, finding a way to keep up with that rhythm to keep mm. up with this knowledge that is ever evolving, uh, that has so many versions of the truth. Mm. Um, as learners, we need to have some kind of um, way to, to <clears throat> keep up, to bridge, the, to bridge the gaps that are appearing and, and evolving constantly. So um, I'm really happy to be here and hopefully we can share many ideas about uh, AI and education uh, mm. going forward. Thank you so much. Really great to hear your background. Ken, let's go to you next. All right. So, uh, so Nick, every time I, I, I talk and, and, and you're on a panel, I, I learned something new about you, but we must have been separated at birth because um, in 1978, I built my first simulator uh, and, uh, on a TRS-80 Model 1. So, um, so it's, uh, <laughs> we must have had some very sad summers. I remember those. <laughs> But um, but it was it was it was great, and that that really got the ball rolling um, with me and computers. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, I remember uh, there was a there was a, a, a series of books uh, called Danny Dunn, and he did lots of different adventures. And uh, he lived beside this professor, and and one of the the things he did was he created a homework machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the process of programming the machine to do all of his mathematical, you know, mathematics homework and, and write papers for him um, and make multiple copies, um, he taught himself how to program and things like that. But one of the things that was interesting is at the end of the day, the teacher that he had said, well, it's okay that he did that. It wasn't really cheating because he had to know more about the subject than the computer he was programming in order to program it to do the homework in the first place. Right. So he actually did more work to do the actual, uh, to, to accomplish what he was accomplishing. And when I read that, I realized early on, this is a fundamental way to learn things. Mm -hmm. To have that, 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 that dialogue at that point, it was just you know, ones and zeros in code and basic. Uh, but as I grew into this space over time, um, I realized more and more that if you can develop a conversation 
with anyone. Um, you can learn from that person. And uh, one of the things that I know Nick is going to touch on with Sophos uh, is that it is designed to have that conversation. As human beings, we've been having conversations around campfires and learning from each other for um, a millennium and, and, or, or more. And now we're in a position where we had actually separated ourselves and started going away from that social construct of learning and, and, and the master apprentice approach and all those types of things that brought us together to learn skills and knowledge from each other through dialogue. And, and it became an, and it was an emergent learning versus an event-based structured 20 minute course. Let's feed it through a sausage grinder and outcomes, outcomes training material mm -hmm. that we have evolved to uh, when you look at uh, most corporate learning programs today. Mm -hmm. And so uh, about 15 years ago, I started a movement or started the direction towards a movement called Transhuman Resources. And it was to address the fact that human resources, as we knew it, um, was focused on uh, talent acquisition and dealing with legal restrictions around talent and, 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 and uh, the, the human resources component of things, training and things like that to, to prepare the employees to do their jobs. What it didn't address was what happens when you start augmenting human capability with artificial intelligence, with uh, mechanical devices like artificial limbs and additional uh, capabilities like exoskeletons and things like that. And then what happens when your teams start taking into to, to account all those pieces? So if on your team, you now have an AI component, you have someone who has had augmented capabilities and you have the human design and creative skills that all go with it. Are we training or are we helping our employees learn how to be a part of that new team? And so as we look at where we're going over the next several decades, and I've been doing this stuff for over 30 years now, and, uh, and I've watched this evolution go back and forth, and it's a cycle that, that tends to go back and forth. And, um, and, and as I'm working for, I, I now head up strategy and innovation for uh, Wells Fargo Bank. And, and one of the challenges that we have at the bank, like all corporations, is that the acceleration of new skills needed to be able to perform tasks within the organization doesn't take into account the fact that what we knew going into the job from college is no longer relevant in many cases, or it's just foundational and we got a lot more that has to be added on top. Mm -hmm. So over the next decade, the next four decades, we may reinvent ourselves as employees multiple times. That process of learning and that process of adaptation doesn't stop. It just keeps going. Mm -hmm. And when my daughter just graduated from college recently, I realized I could relive her entire life twice before I hit the point where I'm, I'm really out of the game. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's, that's if I presume a full 20 years mm -hmm. to, to relive. If I break it down to, okay, elementary school is not, not, not an equation anymore. I could reinvent myself four times. Mm -hmm. That's four whole careers mm -hmm. are in front of me. Mm -hmm. That's different. That's a different mindset than we're used to thinking. And then when you add on the ability to have these uh, social constructs that are now um, supported by technology and new abilities that technology can add to me that I never, that, that were never even in the equation before, that really changes things because as human beings, we have to learn how to work in that environment. So, so learning becomes less about knowledge retention and more about how do I interface with all of these things, both human and non-human. Mm -hmm. So that's the fun part. We're, mm -hmm. we're in a, we're, we are in an exciting time. So thank you all. And with that, let's jump right in. Um, you've all laid out, I think, the problem very well that you're trying to solve, whether that's uh, around the content of education uh, and the methods of education being completely obsolete from a different century. 
um, information being biased in what we learn and how we take in information. Teachers not being as prepared as they need to be to be able to engage and have that kind of dialogue type of interaction in the classroom uh, to the next level that's necessary now. So with a lot of the problems that you're naming, help me understand this. Uh, so how does AI make me a better learner? How does it help me improve as a learner, not just updating the content and upgrading the material that I receive, but how does it actually help me learn to the next level in a deeper degree? All right, so I'll have a go. I mean, Ken touched on it. So for one, there's, there's gotta be extreme personalization. In other words, the knowledge is there in, in a digestible, interrogable form that using the Socratic method, for example, you could ask questions, have the AI test you, have the AI tell you what is adjacent knowledge, right? That is relevant to you and purely through conversation, because as humans, we've evolved to speak to each other, right? Obviously talking is the most effective way of getting our points across. Otherwise we would have invented or created a whole other way of communicating, right? So currently it's the best way of communicating. I have thoughts of how it could be improved with technology in the future, but having the, the knowledge be stored in a way where you can have a conversation with the AI. But very, very importantly, Rick, it's not about this notion of learning and memorizing facts. I stopped doing that ages ago. I'm mm -hmm. very bad at learning a bunch of facts in the hope that I may one day need them, right? Some things stick. But, you know, that's unwittingly, it's not planned. Um, I look for what I need when I need it. So it, it, it's not about being a better learner because the plan really isn't to learn. I know that kind of sounds counterintuitive, but it's to be able to use the world's knowledge, to use the knowledge that's out there to do the thing that makes you happy, that makes you productive, that makes you achieve whatever your goals and objectives are. So I, I know it's, it's kind of dodging the question a little bit. It's, it's, it's not about just learning stuff because that implies rote memorization. I have all these facts. You know, knowledge does not equal intelligence. It does not equal your ability to, to usefully and effectively use all the world's knowledge. It doesn't have to just be your knowledge. So that's what the promise of AI uh, and certainly what we're working towards. Um, can I pick up yes, um, where you left off? Um, definitely agree with everything that you've said. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Socratic method because your question was how does AI help you to become a better learner? Mm -hmm. um, and what Nick was basically describing is metacognition. Like I know and think about what I am knowing. I learn and think about what I am learning. I am aware as a learner about the learning process so as um, the use of the Socratic method, for instance, it requires people sitting in a circle in a classroom face to face and having a discussion and asking each other questions and thinking of the right prompts, not to find an answer, but to get closer to the truth or a version of the truth that is more all round and all acceptable and um, tolerant and open-minded and um, helps you to reach a level of wisdom rather not exactly as Nick said, not rote learning a bunch of facts. I mean, these facts are out there. We can just click and find facts. I've never been able to memorize in my entire life. And um, education is based primarily on memorization, even though we are moving um, using new instructional strategies, we are changing in the educational field to a great extent in the last two decades. Um, education has changed, but yes, there are still classrooms all over the world where students are forced to learn a bunch of facts and regurgitate them in exams. And mm -hmm. that is not lifelong learning. That is the ability to, you know, memorize, to have, an, a, high I, to have a high IQ, to, mm -hmm. to be able to just give back what you've learned. Uh, maybe exactly as you've learned it. So there's no critical thinking, there's no higher order thinking skills. AI is going to come in and, and say, okay, let's start a conversation. AI can start a conversation. AI will connect you with other learners that are at your level to encourage 
collaboration. AI will come up with those prompts that will help you to think further and to, to improve your higher level thinking skills. It's not going to tell you, I mean, I'm not going to ask AI, uh, what's the capital of this city and, and how many um, corporations exist in that city? I'm going to engage with AI. Um, he's not Google. He is like an entity, a study buddy, a person who will bring out the best in me and will help me to become that lifelong learner. The person who has metacognitive thinking. Um, you know, it's not uh, the empirical evidence that we're looking for here. I can, I can find that anywhere. AI has, has, has the capability to go into the epistemological level, um, looking at things from a theory of knowledge, not just uh, information, it's knowledge, not information. So it's giving the learner that opportunity to really explore what else I can know and how I can know it. And that is um, what Nick was saying about personalization. That is how AI can differentiate learning because it understands me as a user, as a study buddy, and it helps me to understand what I know and, and where I'm going with what I know and how I can you know, restructure where I'm going with what I know to, to reach the best possible potential. So it is really all about creating lifelong learners, not learners who will just quickly access information, uh, uh, X, tell me the answer to this question and Y, tell me the answer to that question. It is engaging with an entity, almost another person. And, and that is what Sophos is. Sophos means Sophos, a wise person or a wise man that you can talk to almost like Socrates having a conversation with you to, mm -hmm. to reach a level of inquiry that you wouldn't reach from memorizing, from rote learning, from traditional methods. Mm. There's, there's uh, something playing on my mind before we get to Ken. Uh, this, is, this is a very, uh, there's so many questions, of course, we, we quite don't know, we don't know where to start or finish here. But let me just follow the same track for a second uh, and talk about adoption. Um, so we have some sense of what AI could do because we've seen deployments throughout um, our lives. We see it with Alexa. We see it with uh, the tools at home. We see it at work. And there's so many manifestations or use cases, as one calls them these days, of AI. And of course, the potential is immense. But let me pick your brains for a second and, and maybe with, with you first, Leaky, because you talked about some very important points. So if you think about uh, historic learning methods and you think about memorization, um, and I'm going to throw in, I'm going to throw into this sort of paella. I'm going to throw in culture because very important because if, you know, we're not just talking about the West, the, the world is made up of seven and a half billion people, all individuals from very, very um, old cultures. You talked about Socrates, then you have ancient India, you have uh, Western civilizations that have their own story. History has a big, theology has a big role to play here. When you look at the scientific evidence that supports memorization, there are some advantages. And to this point in our lives, we are only where we are, back to Ken's point earlier on, um, because of how we've learned. We are only here today challenging and talking, one would argue, because you went through the system of memorization, because you went through the system of, of what you described earlier on as being, you know, a one way or, or sort of more monolithic way of learning. And I, I buy into that. But tell me a little bit more about how you see disruption happening here and what will adoption look like? Because there will be a lot of naysayers, like with all technology, who will say, in fact, including educators who uh, make their money from this, who have created institutions, uh, elite organizations on the basis of us and you and me has all the information. How dare you cascade it out to the rest of the world? But now what you're saying is you're democratizing wisdom, right? Tell us That's a little funny. bit about that because that is what stops things going moving forward okay I, I know both ken and 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 nick can really speak to this but i will start with um educators can never be obsolete um I'll, I'll start at the end of what you just asked um the educator cannot become obsolete because there's an ai who will close the gaps the ai bridges the gaps for the educator as well because i mean the biggest issue that happened when COVID. Hit and when everybody said, oh, online learning and asynchronous, synchronous, hybrid versions, uh, people started to just think of things that they've never mm -hmm. even thought about. I mean, the teachers that, that um, I, I trained during my dissertation, they were completely clueless that there is something uh, like Zoom and on Zoom you have breakout rooms and kids can work together in groups and collaborate. They had no idea. Um, uh, so the, the issue is not that only students 
are memorizing and using traditional methods. Traditional methods are, some traditional methods are extremely successful. I mean, but kids can go home and, and use the traditional method on their own. They don't need a teacher. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not using a traditional method as a teacher, that is what makes me exceptional. Like memorizing the old fashioned way, nothing wrong. I can go and do that. I can do that on my own completely. And, and we can say the whole educational institution is obsolete. And that is what learners will be saying. What are you people doing for me? If mm -hmm. I am um, only going to memorize stuff I can find out there that is available, readily available and in more detail and in more visual and audio and all kinds of versions of that knowledge. So yes, memorization doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Memorizing in forcing students to memorize in education, that's where we can say the negative aspect is. But what AI will do is enable teachers to allow a certain level of memorizing. Of course, in some subjects, um, I'm, I'm English language and literature and theory of knowledge teacher. So everything we learn is very holistic and very out there. Um, but there are subjects where, like biology, I only was able to memorize the technical terms in biology because of my Greek background, because right. all of the terms made sense to me. But my some of my colleagues were like, why do they call these things these words? There's a certain level of memorization that is inevitable. Mm -hmm. But the, the issue is, is that the kind of classroom that I want? Is that the kind of learning and, and are these the kind of learners that I want to develop only memorizing? So yes, that we, we can strike a balance between um, needing to memorize and creating lifelong learners with higher order thinking <clears throat> skills that can go beyond memorizing. There has to be a balance, of course, and, and AI can make that balance because there, there are levels of knowledge. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, um, the hierarchy of, there's a hierarchy of knowledge. You, you start with just basic comprehension or basic, basic understanding and you go up to self-awareness. So yeah. AI can tackle every single one of those levels. For, for learners, not students or employees, for the trainer, for the educator, you know, for all levels of the educational um, uh, field, not, not schools and universities. I'm talking about anybody who wants to educate anybody out there on anything, uh, training somebody to, to build something or design a building or do any kind of thing. I mean, AI can, can cover any field anywhere, everywhere, all the time. And they can make that balance between what is required to know as facts and what is required to know as knowledge and wisdom and, and theory that I can explore further and, and think about critically. So yes. the educator, AI is not going to replace that educator and it won't be you and um, us and them. It's going to be everybody using AI, not the students against, oh, we don't like school now because it's very traditional and we've been right. forced to memorize. So right. we're gonna go to AI world AI is going to revolutionize uh, the world for the educator more even than the learner because it will give us the tools and the instructional strategies and, and the ways to solve problems. That, so we won't be like if, if something new pops up like COVID, we won't be just like stuck. Like literally teachers were frozen. Mm -hmm. They were frozen. I mean, just very, um, just giving them one skill that they could use or one tool that they could use online was like it was like gold yeah wow i didn't well, know that that almost, could be done it's almost like you're talking about the meshing of two worlds coming together what you're saying in other words Absolutely. before it was ken and, and nick because i'm intrigued with, with, with what you're going to say it, the, the point was adoption and cultures and how different people will look at what you're saying for us it seems glorious of course but there are many camps here and change management and adoption of something new is, of course, a very important point because we saw that with Google when Google came 10, 15, 20 years ago. And now, of course, even doctors got on Google to check, well, whether there are any, uh, you know, there are the ramifications of taking a certain medication. I saw it with my consultant. I was like, are you serious? So he, he was on Google. And so uh, everything takes time. But I assume if you look at the laws of change and accelerated returns and Moore's law and all of them together, we're going to start to see things uh, technology evolve at a faster rate and will adopt it faster too. 
Uh, but what you're discussing here is is because you're talking about education and health and all of these factors are so important in the hierarchy, Maslow's hierarchy, in fact, of yes. needs. You're talking about a very fundamental aspect of how you shape humanity. Um, and culture does have a role to play. I have many other questions on religion, but I'm not going to get to that at this point, because uh, if you had a cleric... And subcultures. Yeah, and subcultures, a cleric would have a very different viewpoint. But Ken, what's your view? Um, wow. Okay, so there's... There is so much. So much. So 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 let me let me touch on some key things. I, I think in the order that that they apply. So there is a foundational set of knowledge that everyone needs to know in order to be able to even interface with AI. Um, you know, you you have to know how to speak. You know have you have to know certain words. You have to uh, be able to to provide interfaces. Now, over time, Nick will probably say, "Yeah, we could adapt to that as well." Um, but for right now, so um, you have to have that. Now, the interesting thing about AI is that if AI is teaching the children those core things, basic numbers, uh, your alphabet you know, basic words that then get built on words and then you get sentences and things like that. The wonderful thing about AI is this, it never gets frustrated. It <laughs> never gets tired. You can ask AI why the sky is blue 5,000 times, like my kids would do in the backseat of the car as we were driving. Why is the sky blue? Why is it this, that, that, you know, it goes on and on. AI never gets frustrated. It never gets angry. It never gets tired of hearing the same question asked over and over again. And through Socratic learning, it can prompt the student or the, the child. And that core knowledge then gets transferred mm -hmm. through repetition and practice. It's not memorization as in rote, I, I hear it, I then repeat it. It is, I do it over and over and over again until it slips into long-term memory. That's different. What we tend to do from a, a, at a university level and even uh, in, in, in grade school level is short-term memory. I study for the test. I pass the test. I forget everything in 90 days. That's the long, the, the, the long tail of learning, of, of, of forgetting. That's a scientific fact. If you don't reinforce it with repetition and spaced and application, you will forget it. Mm -hmm. um, once you have that core knowledge, and if that core knowledge is structured in a way that you're teaching the student how to ask more questions, how to ask the right questions in the right context, so that the AI or the human being can respond with an answer that then adds to that body of knowledge that the student knows or can apply, that's how learning takes place in the future, you know, as we're looking at what this future state looks like. Right. And because I can continue to ask more and more complex questions of the AI, even if the AI doesn't know the answer, what's interesting is that the AI can be constructed in a way that it goes and finds the answer. So much like a Google approach, but yet synthesizing that information, and bringing it in from multiple sources. And now it provides me with a broader answer than I would have necessarily been able to go and get myself because of the vast multitude of, 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 of information that's out there. Ken, now, Ken, Ken, quick question. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, what does that do then to, you, you almost make the human sound a bit useless to set it in terms of a conversation, I'm playing devil's advocate, of course. Yeah. So you're, the conversation with AI is going to be so stimulating, so advanced, so insightful, so inspiring, so energetic and the whole, the whole lot. So, uh, you know, filled with wisdom and all those good things. And then will we start to get bored talking to normal people? What are uh -huh. we going to talk to each other about? So here's the, here's the beauty of it. The, 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 the questions that you ask of AI are I'm trying to, to you know, distill an answer to an immediate need. Right. If the AI doesn't know the answer and can't just find it, it then defers to subject matter experts that may not have published yet. 
and they bring them into the conversation. The conversation is now three or four or five people, not just between man and machine. The other thing is this. Okay. There's no emotional stake in the game for the AI. So while the AI may be able to respond with the answer, the passion behind the answer may not be there. Uh, it also doesn't, doesn't take into account that um, what if I, if I disagree with the answer that the AI is giving me, hmm. um, do I have an argument with the AI? Does the, you know, how does that play out in, in, in this scheme? Because the creativity of how I ask the question may totally change the answer that the AI is going to give me based upon the context of how I need to know the information or what I need to know it for. Right. The, the other thing that's fascinating is this going back to the memorization side of things. So if I go into an interview or go into a meeting with someone, and I have uh, just the body of knowledge that I have memorized over my lifetime, including the regulations, the rules, et cetera, that may be affecting the decisions I'm making. And I go in and they ask me a question and I respond with just what I know. There are three things that happen in that regard. One, I really better know my stuff. Two, the stuff I know is only what I knew up to the moment that I answered the question. And three, I have added risk into the equation of that answer because my perception of what I remember from the memorization that I did may vary. And that's been proven time and time again if you look at court cases of mm -hmm. people remembering situations happening like that. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. let's say I go into that same meeting but I have Alexa or Sophos or some other uh, you know, augment, augmentation. And instead of me having to remember all the regulations and rules, et cetera, Sophos is in my ear. And if I ask, if, if the question gets asked and I say, let me defer or let me check, and Sophos is, is, is enabled to be able to give me the latest policy, regulation, rule, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Risk is minimized. My knowledge or, or my information I'm conveying to the person asking the question of me is now accurate. Now, I may help enhance that information by taking that knowledge and then wrapping it into the context of how the question was asked and providing my insight. That's the creativity. That's the human factor. It right, right, yeah. makes that knowledge relevant to the situation at that moment. Yeah, okay? yeah, I, who would you rather have on your team? The person who is relying on only what they remember or the person who can access and assimilate and synthesize the latest information? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a huge paradigm shift Mm -hmm. for the way we're used to doing that, especially if you're talking about that same question being asked in an interview for a job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, I'm, if I'm applying for a job and you're asking me things and I have, human, I have augmentation from, mm -hmm. uh, from this, does that make me less or more of a candidate for that position? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. That's it a good changes question. the way we think about human resources yeah. and human, yeah. human, you know, human, human uh, capacity. Yeah, it really also brings up something that I, I study a lot around human intuition. That's where Nick and I first actually connected that's in right. many ways is around the study of like the subconscious and how our neural networks work and how that then applies in AI side of things. And that also brings up something for me too. It's a slippery slope where I can have AI be this amazing assistant and uh, uh, augmentation to my humanity. And I, can, I have to also be careful, where do I not outsource my own self-authority and my own decision-making where I also am still tuning into my intuition for my life and my decision-making in my life as the author of my book of life, right? And so I think that's an interesting bit too, because it can be so easy to imagine this all-perfect being that we start to relate to it that way. And then we, and then in a way, education, you know, gets co-opted in that direction. And then I don't really take ownership of my choices and decisions in a certain way. 
So I'm just curious what you think about that. So, is- so it's interesting. The question you just, just posed is a question I actually have on my website. Mm. And it is, it, it's along the lines of, is it unethical for me not to tell my boss that I've outsourced my job to AI, mm-hmm. to a gig person, whatever, mm-hmm. as long as the job gets done? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a big question. As we move into this gig <laughs> economy and we shift to having robotic process automation and other things coming into play, at what point do we say, okay, if that person can do that and get it done efficiently, then why shouldn't they be able to go play golf that afternoon? Because mm-hmm. they figured out a way to do it better, faster, cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some questions in the chat um, that kind of link to what you are talking about. If, if I could address the first question. Sure. Yes, please. Um, I think it's a question from Facebook that how can you use AI in the classroom? And it kind of links to what you're saying. I mean, I'm a teacher trainer and teachers make a lot of mistakes every day because of we're overworked and underpaid. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we do it because we love it and we want to make a difference in the world. So (laughs) Um, the AI isn't going to like, um, you know, solve my problem in an interview in the the, the same way that Ken was describing now, um, but it will really save me in, in helping to be a more inspiring teacher because if, if I think about different methods we use in the classroom, like the Socratic method or philosophical chairs or carousel or jigsaw, there are so many tiny little details that a teacher needs to know and understand and carry out to implement it properly. Otherwise, it just becomes an activity that in-depth learning doesn't take place. I've sort of been through this so many times with teachers. They attend the training and then they go and implement and they say, wow, I just implemented this. But what did the kids learn? Right. Where where is the evidence of learning? Mm -hmm. So AI is fantastic in that sense because a teacher can't always come up with the most creative text and the most creative parts of a text to, to include in a jigsaw. In philosophical chairs, they might be discussing on a very surface level and be unaware of it. It's not only the kids who are unaware of their level of depth, it is often the teacher uh, not knowing what are the right questions to ask to, to initiate that inquiry. So in a sense, it is the AI isn't going to solve my problem on the spot when I, when I don't know something and is going to save me from my boss. It's, it's exactly the opposite. The boss is going to say, thank you, AI, for saving that teacher from being an epic failure in the Socratic discussion. So yeah. it, it, it will bridge that kind of gap, a, a knowledge gap, and it will understand what my knowledge gap is because I will be inputting my ideas and, and, and I will be asking, you know, so first, do you, do you know what else I could ask? These are my five questions. Is there something else I could ask? And Sophos will say, yes, let me get right on that. And, and Sophos will come up with, or an AI will come up with something more related to critical thinking and higher order thinking and inquiry and, and something less surface. So mm. I feel like That's in the classroom, point, it's very valuable. Yes, sorry, Nick. Yeah. You've so a, a lot of points. I mean, I've got a, a list of 15 things in my head that I've been thinking, <laughs> say, so I, I won't get through all of them, but conscious of the time as well. So just to unpack some of that. So F, just to address some of your points, um, that, that is probably one of the most important questions to be asking is we, this is all about augmentation. We're looking to augment the teachers skills right we, we're looking to augment learners because one day they'll they'll go into the workforce they'll become productive human beings it's not about replacing them with ai everything we do is about augmentation mm-hmm. you know I, i'm a firm believer that ai is not going to replace people it's going to make them more and make them better and make them be able to achieve what they really want to achieve so it's all about augmentation the word disruption is a little bit of a misnomer. We're not looking to disrupt education as such. It's more about, you know, filling in the gaps, giving teachers the tools they need to teach better, giving learners the tools to be able to 
not just learn, but use that knowledge. Because it's, it's when you've learned something and actually used it again and again, that's when it sticks. I mean, mm -hmm. I know personally, if I've understood something and used it a few times, there's no way you're getting it out of my head. But if I memorize it, I, I could very well forget it. So th that's the first point. We, we're not looking to completely disrupt. It's about augmentation, enhancing current systems. In, we're not looking to get rid of memorization. However, it's going to ultimately happen because it won't be necessary. So through, uh, you know, mics and speakers that are inaudible to anyone else but you, through brain-machine interfaces that are being developed, you're going to, you talk about the extension of your neocortex. You talk about having this, the world's knowledge essentially be stored in this digital extension of your brain that you can access super quickly. So, you know, you could five, 10 years from now, literally be speaking a different language because you'll think it in English, you'll hear it in the other language, speak it in the other language. So it's, you don't become boring if you don't memorize everything. Having it all be available to you, it's what you do with it that makes you interesting. You know, that, that was a comment that, that Af and, and, and Ken mentioned. So humans won't become boring. They'll become a heck of a lot more interesting because they'll be able to use all of the world's knowledge to do more, be more, create more, invent more, you know, reach insights that they are not able to at this point in time. And it kind of ties into... Aliki's comment a few times about higher order thinking, right? So you can achieve higher order thinking by having access to more resources, knowledge, etc. So that, that was the, the, the one important point. Um, Nick, Nick, sorry, before you move to the next point, can yeah. you give us some use case examples? And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about how. Yeah. Because we're familiar with some basics. So what, what do you mean by we've got all of this? Are you talking about Neuralink, like a chipset in the back of your head? Are you talking about a buddy that you've got on, as a device? Well, give us some examples. Yeah, and yeah, in sure, fact, Nick, a... Nick, just with that, like if you picture like 10 years from now, it's 2031, yeah. we're yeah. in the classrooms, what is it looking like as far as AI integrating with our learning? Give us a real, paint the picture okay. for us. Yeah. At, at, the, at the very least, um, you'll be able to have uh, speakers essentially that connect to this, this bone behind your ear that you can hear and nobody else around you can hear. So it's almost like having earbuds in, but you're also able to speak inaudibly. So you could essentially be searching Google. That, that's a few years from now. In fact, the technology exists and it'll be available very, very soon. So I could have, I could be wearing this and be accessing Sophos, for instance, without you realizing. That's, yeah. that's number one. With uh, Neuralink, uh, Kernel, and a number of companies going after brain-machine interfaces and really, really, really making rapid progress, it's, and this is the thing I alluded to earlier, where the best way to communicate we've discovered so far is speech. Speech is very analog. If I was to summarize Hamlet to you, I could probably do it. It would take me you know, 20 minutes. If I really wanted to do a good version of it, it would take me an hour of speaking. You'd have to listen to an hour. But what you're ultimately left with is a series of electrical impulses that took place in your brain. Your neurons have been semi-affected, etc. But you're not left with the stream of speech that I delivered, which, you know, is, is what I, I said to you, but you left with some representation of that. Let's call that the neural code, right? Imagine you're able to go from the stream of words to being able to send a series of electrical impulses and you get the same net effect as if I'd spoken to you for an hour about Hamlet, right? So eventually with brain machine interfaces, that search, right, where you say, um, Sophos, talk to me about Roger Penrose's work or tell me some things about Roger Penrose's work. Instead of having to utter that, that sentence, you'll be able to think it. Mm. It'll be able to conduct the search. And instead of downloading a stream of video and audio, mm -hmm. you'll get a series of electrical impulses and get the same net effect. So 2031, Rick? will be connected through brain-machine interfaces. And right now, Kernel and Neuralink are leading the pack, but there's going to be a lot of startups in that space, especially as the field of neuroscience and computational neuroscience develops. And as it sort of, as it becomes sort of cross, merging multiple fields into one, because I think people are not gonna just be learning computer science or mathematics or neuroscience. It's gonna be, 
bit of everything or a bit from everything so you can do what you need to do. So that's, that's my vision for 2031. It's you don't need to memorize anything. You can access it in a flash, literally. Mm -hmm. And do you see kids going to schools and classrooms physically? Are they at home? Are they using Oculus goggles? Like what, what do you think is some of the processes you might see in the classroom? Um, I, I think a bit of all of the above, right? So as Aliki said, teachers aren't going away. Mm -hmm. It's going to be their choice though, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to. Um, you know, personally, I convinced my school to allow me to, I had to go to school, but not attend class as long as I maintained an A average. And because I, I found I learned better on my own. So I would have been perfect just learning on my own, but not everybody is wired that way. But you need guidance from teachers. You need support, direction. And just to kind of touch on some of these questions on Facebook, which uh, I think are really, really interesting. Um, the one about using uh, AI in the classroom, a leaky address, but there's something else we're working on that's going to be available in a, in a couple of years, which is <clears throat> an engagement engine. In other words, we're looking at micro expressions and also vocal intonations to identify whether someone is learning or not. Because what's been done today is they're looking at emotion and sentiment and, well, who's to say if I'm happy, I'm learning. I may be remembering, you know, something I did with my friends the day before yesterday. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm actually absorbing anything. So in the classroom, um, Aliki will be teaching, but she'll be getting feedback from the AI as to who's engaged, who's not learning, who's bored, who's having some emotional issue that requires some support because they're overwhelmed by all this stuff that is available to them and she can then step in and support and that's the role a machine will not be able to do in our grandkids lifetimes you know it's, it's going to be a long long time before machines can start replacing humans in, in that area so that's the one thing the other thing is imagine you're able to clone a licky and instead of one to 25 i don't know how many kids you have in your classroom a licky but instead of one to 25 imagine having multiple AIs that interact with the kids. So it's almost like having five or 10 of her, which obviously is a lot better, right? Because you're going to do a lot better with a group of three or four or whatever the case is. Those are some ways. Um, I'll pause and see if anybody wants to take some of the other questions, but I'm happy to. Can, can I can I quickly jump in? A vulnerability is I want to talk about vulnerability and ge and generations because we've been talking about education where we assume it's young people and that's fine because they're the future. Uh, tell us a bit about what you think and who you think this will impact the most outside of the fact that they'll, they'll probably live longer than us. Um, is this a is this a young generation? Whatever you however you want to classify them, the ones who are not born, you know, my ten week old who's maybe a Gen Alpha, I don't know what he's called these days. Is it for them, really? Because we have some cognitive biases. We have uh, Daniel Kahneman's latest book is called Noise, fascinating book, is a build on what he was talking about earlier, which is fundamentally that we are flawed in our judgment as human beings, which builds the case for a little bit of what you're saying. Is this for young people, number one, and is it better for them, really? I mean, I know it's for all of us, but really, they're the best suitors. And number two, you're talking about being super vulnerable when AI is giving feedback, giving massive exposure, telling you about whether I feel depressed or sad in an instant. You're making a, a almost a new paradigm of vulnerability, which we weren't taught. I didn't grow up in my MBA and you know I'm 43 and I'm probably the last version of this. We were never taught to be vulnerable. We were told that you have to be this other version of yourself, go to work, get a big job, pretend that it's all fantastic, come back home, and be someone else. Things have changed, of course. So each one of you very quickly, because I know we're running out of time, maybe starting with Nick, because you started it. Who is this really for? If I was just to pin you down to one segment uh, today, if you were a betting man. Yeah. All right. So I, I'm going to answer it slightly differently to what you're expecting. And oh, for me, oh. it's initially, it's for those that do not have access to education. It's the one point two billion kids around the world that do not have access to education. Yeah. Most of them are girls, by the way, um, mm -hmm. talking about culture. It's initially for them, obviously soft, and I'm talking about AI and education and ed tech generally. Sophos is initially for, for adults, lifelong learning, but the whole, the long-term vision is to take anyone who does not have access to education, give them access to education. Why? Because most, and I challenge you to find one, actually, that's an exception. Most societal problems can be fixed with education. 
through education, people are able to take care of themselves. They're able to take better care of their health. They're, it, it reduces crime because they're able to go out and earn. Um, they understand their actions affect <clears throat> climate change, etc., etc. So it's for me, it's it's getting education to those. And obviously, we you know we're not in a position to to tackle that big problem, but hopefully, you know, the Bill Gates Foundation is watching, or organisations like that that right. to solve global problems. Um, that that's who we ideally love for this to be for. But okay. the second part of the question, uh, the second part of the answer would be, we want to go away from this idea that you learn for, you know, what is it, 18, 20, 20 something years, and then you're done. Mm -hmm. It's it's for lifelong learning. So, you know, if you're 60 and you've been laid off and you intrigued by blockchain, well, mm -hmm. learn about blockchain and go get a job in, in a company that needs people with DLT experience. You know, it's, it's for life, lifelong learning. Got it. Brilliant. I like that. Ken, your view. So, uh, so, so I'm going to take a little different spin on this too. So, so I have a, my, my father-in-law is 88 years old and uh, he's an ex-IBMer and was, and, and is brilliant, but he is starting to lose his memory. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's not, it's not widespread. It's periodic. Some of the things he used to do every day, you know, he's, he's not as familiar with. Imagine if he had his entire life history um, to draw back from, from Sophos, he could literally ask himself uh, questions and, 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 and reflect with an extended memory, an augmented memory and, uh, and series of experiences. Um, you know, that would be an amazing thing because, you know, there are so many stories, so much richness that uh, could potentially be lost and we're already facing that in corporations right now with the baby boomers moving on uh, right. to retirement. And mm -hmm. we have an information uh, river that's draining out yeah. the door. Yeah. And so, so imagine being able to capture that knowledge before it does and those skills and those behaviors and just the personalities and, and then be able to inflect that back into uh, either who you are or uh, you know, who your organization is to maintain that momentum. Um, that, that to me, you put that with what Nick just described and, and, and that affects a lot of people in ways that, that, that we haven't even started thinking about yet. Mm, mm. Brilliant. Aliki, you, it's for you now to, to wrap things up, I guess. Of course, Nick um, has already said what is closest to my heart, uh, accessibility and inclusiveness, if it can eventually impact those people um, around the world, especially girls um, who do not have access to education, that would be the ultimate, that would be the ultimate goal and the ultimate realization of the vision, of course. Um, but I, I would say that educators at this point, you know, putting something like this in the hand of educators is going to be a really brilliant start, although I know it is at the moment at the level where it's uh, for employees and uh, employers in, in the corporate world. I feel like teachers with this capability can make a difference to multiple, mm -hmm. multiple lives in, in the field of education. So it's difficult to choose a preference. But. Great. Great. Well, those are all fantastic. And that, that, that excites us in... Um, just so many possibilities of what this technology can do. And um, so excited to see what you all, where you all take this and the different collaborators along the journey that you meet that inspire even new thoughts that you're not thinking about today. Um, this is a very exciting field. So we want to thank you all for being on Straight Talk Live. And where can people find out more about each of your work and what you're up to today? Where should they go? Well, for me, uh, LinkedIn profile is a, a good place. Uh, I try and keep that updated. Obviously, softfast.ai. Um, and, and, and Rick, I know we, we've spoken about something. I know we we out of time, but we'd love to come back and actually have Sophos be on, on the show and have him actually Speak present, answer questions, etc. Uh, to kind of show what we we're very proud of what we've created so if, if we can make that happen at some point but just don't make it look like afro it's going to creep me out 
one half is enough, but two of them on the same show, that'd be no, 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 wild. Okay, okay. We need some distinction here. Okay. Absolutely. No, that, that, we're very excited about that. And so audience members, if there's a certain subject matter you want us to interview on, uh, mm. please let us know. We want to think about that in advance so we can prepare <clears throat> Sophos for our interviews. That sounds fantastic. And then for Ken and Aliki, anything else you want to mention on where people can find the latest on you and your work? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, and transhumanresources.org. Great. Thank you. Aliki? Uh, LinkedIn and uh, Sophos AI. Okay. Thank you again all so much. Uh, very exciting to always have you on here and to get to meet you, Ken and Aliki as well. And um, just really quick for next week, uh, this is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum here. Um, mm. We have a uh, world wisdom holder, a First Nations elder named Grandmother Lene San Moonwalker. Uh, she's going to be talking about an indigenous perspective on our current times. And interestingly enough, she only got on the internet a year ago. And this is her very first podcast she's ever is going to be on, actually. So we're very honored to have her as a guest. And she's going to be bringing in indigenous wisdom and speaking to our needs around the planetary issues, climate change, and the voices that are often underrepresented in that, in that sense. And so I love the diversity of the show where we're going everything from AI to indigenous wisdom and how can we combine the best of all in yeah. these conversations. So that's what we're all about here at Straight Talk. Thank each of you for being part of our tribe now and for furthering the conversation in this way. So thank you all. Big, right. big thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Okay, over and out and keep straight talking.